Ah, it's an 87th Precinct Podcast mini-episode. This is the only podcast in the world dedicated to Ed McBain's seminal series of police procedural novels, which began in 1956 with Cop Hater and ended in 2005 with Fiddlers. There were 55 books in the series, but there were also three short stories featuring the cast of the books, and today's mini-episode looks at the second of these, Love or Money. And this episode will contain spoilers for this short story if you haven't read it yet. The first of these was, of course, the story that was published in TV Guide magazine reruns. My name is Paul Abbott, and I'm joined today by, well, nobody. Morgan and Stephen will be back with me very soon to do our usual look at the next book in the series, which is our namesake, Hark. But I wanted to make sure that I got this little curio covered on the podcast as well to make sure we're covering everything. So there's a little bit to unpack first about how and why this story came to be. First and foremost, it is worth mentioning that you can still find this full story, Love or Money, online in PDF format, and I'll have the link to that in the episode description and on social media for you. Of course, if you're like me, you'll download it, you'll design your own front cover and you'll typeset it so it looks like a proper book. But that's entirely a matter for you and your own sanity. So, where did this come from? Back in February 2003, the BBC, the national broadcaster in the UK, launched a new television channel called BBC Three. We had BBC One, we had BBC Two, and now we had BBC Three. And it was born out of the ashes of a digital channel called BBC Choice. And it had a remit to target a younger audience, 16 to 34 years old, the demographic. And it featured a lot of comedy shows, a few dramas and things like Torchwood, which was a spin-off from Doctor Who. Oddly enough, BBC Three went entirely online, as in not broadcast on television anymore in 2016. But it has just, as of February this year, come back on air again. So it's had its own little renaissance. There's also a channel called BBC Four, which tends towards arts programming, sort of international programs, documentaries, and lots of music stuff. But although what I'm going to talk about sounds like it should have been on BBC Four, it was actually a programme on the more youth-oriented BBC Three. On Sunday, 18th of April 2004, BBC Three launched what was described as a new writing challenge. Not really a short story competition per se, but an opportunity for viewers to complete the endings of several short stories that were provided by different writers. Eight of them, in fact. These entries would then be shortlisted by a team of professional readers, and then each of the famous authors would choose a winner for completing their tale from a further whittled down list of six from the shortlisted reading people to three that a panel of judges decided on. Those eight winners would then get published alongside the finished tale by the original author in a a physical book, and it was a very popular competition, and there was supposedly something like 17,000 entries sent in. So the first part of each contributing author's stories were made available via the BBC website, but also there was a printed version of the material which was produced and distributed to various locations around the UK, including libraries and bus and train stations and and bookshops and things like that. And the authors featured were as follows. Marion Keyes, 
Faye Weldon, Sue Townsend, Sean Hudson, Alexi Sale, Joanne Harris, Ian Rankin, and Ed McBain. The launch programme was presented by Claudia Winkleman, who at that time also presented BBC Three's entertainment update slot called Liquid News, and she's now best known for her time presenting Strictly Come Dancing and hair adverts. And after the launch happened on BBC Three, it was repeated a couple of weeks later on BBC Two, with an update on the competition being shown in May. And then it's not until autumn, till September, that the main series, which followed the sort of the closure of the competition, was shown. So in terms of where I'm placing this in the 87th Precinct canon, it doesn't matter where it's placed, but given that this, this whole project started in April, I've decided to put it there because that's before Hark was published. That's my reasoning, you see. So the main episode we're interested in was broadcast on the 17th of October 2004, and this was how this particular episode was described in television listings. Three unpublished authors travelled to Connecticut to pitch their ending to Ed McBain's Love or Money. Which of the submitted conclusions will find favour with the US novelist? And no, I've never seen it. And it's not available on YouTube or anything. But I believe that the three authors who got the biggest share of the readers' votes were 61-year-old Valerie Atkinson, with 29.4% of the vote, a self-confessed Ed McBain fan. Barbara Baker, a 73-year-old from Scunthorpe, who loved McBain, Dorothy Sayers and Elliot Roosevelt. She had... 15.7% of the vote. The person with the highest percentage of the vote was Helen Gibson, who got 31.4% of the vote. And it was apparently for her first ever attempt at fiction writing from this uh, 26-year-old. To, uh, well, not keep you in suspense too long, Mr. McBain selected Valerie Atkinson's ending to the story. And so after I've told you about McBain's story and how he wrote it and finished it off, I'll I'll tell you what... uh, Valerie came up with as well. The title says it all, really. In this story, Love or Money, it's McBain's oft-repeated statement about the two reasons people commit crime, specifically murder. You know, it's cropped up more than once in the books. And it goes as follows. Remember, spoilers. It's very short. I can't really do it without spoilers. It's a hot summer in the city. It's August. We meet Steve Carella and Maya Meyer at a restaurant called Martha Bailey's, run by a lady of that name. It's a popular haunt for writers, apparently, and the detectives are there because a diner at the restaurant, called Helen McCready, died after eating there, and the ME has discovered that the cause was arsenic poisoning. Helen McCready was a book critic for a newspaper and had been out at the restaurant for her birthday with her editor, Harold Ames. It's insinuated by Martha that they've been having an affair. Not Martha and Harold Ames, McCready and Ames. Even though her husband was in attendance, and also there was a friend of Helen's, an actress called Cindy Carr. Mr McCready fills the... I'm saying McCready here, I spelt McReady, but I think I just, you know, I'm nearer Scotland than I am isola mr mccready fills the cops in on the details of his wife's demise when they speak to him and he's angry because he knows about her and the editor but also he suspects about her and her friend cindy as well 
They also find out that during the course of the meal, Helen McCready swapped seats with Cindy from underneath an air vent in the restaurant. So Corella and Maya's interview with Cindy Carr takes place, but it comes to quite an abrupt halt when she refuses to answer any more questions without a lawyer present. And I am afraid to say that even in this very short story, McBain does manage to sneak in a really dreadful description of the female form when he describes Cindy's breasts as exuberant. That must be very tiring to have exuberant breasts. So they go on and they interview Harold Ames, who expounds on the idea that love or money are the only two things worth writing about. He was the one who arranged the party for Helen, and he was the one who contacted Cindy to ask her to come along. Carella and Maya pursue a line of questioning about who poured the drinks. It was red for the men, white for the ladies, before Ames clams up as well. And then, what happens next? That's the point at which the story ends, ready for the competition entrance to try and work their magic. I'll go on in a second and see how McBain got the story to play out. But by this point, he's introduced us to a whole bunch of suspects, a location, and some possible reasons why MacReady might have died. So the action switches to the squad room. Andy Parker is there, wearing a t-shirt with the words, Stamp out cockroaches on it. For some reason, he keeps interjecting in the following discussion, as he normally does in his usual annoying way. So Corella and Maya muse on the love or money theme again. There's a bit of chat about how book reviewers get paid in advanced copies of books, which they then flog to book dealers. Motives are considered, and the idea of Helen and Cindy swapping seats before either of them has drunk from their glass comes up, which leads Maya to simply say, let's go get him. The him is Harold Ames, the editor. In an interrogation scene, Ames tries to shift the blame onto the husband and explains how he was at the toilet so he couldn't have been near the wine glasses that were poisoned. In classic 87th Precinct interrogation scene style, though, eventually he just cracks. He wanted to kill Cindy so he could have Helen for himself. He didn't foresee them swapping seats, but leaving their wine glasses that they hadn't drunk out of yet at the seats that they had just moved from. And that's it. It's an 87th Precinct tale in microcosm. We get a victim, we get suspects, an interesting location with an amusing character, we get the squad room, we get a bit of Andy Parker being an idiot, we get a good old swipe at the publishing industry, we get an interrogation scene, and we get a case solved. The only thing I'd say about it is it does read almost more like a script than a story. It's got lots of very short sentences spoken between characters, so there's not much of the meat of an 87th Precinct there, but couldn't really fit it in here to do the job it needs to do, I wouldn't have thought. But it's very cunningly set up as a mystery for the new writers to solve in their own way. There's lots of things for people to grab hold of and, and, and run with. And I suppose we should have a look now, now we know what McBain's done, how um, Valerie Atkinson did it, the one he chose. So in Valerie's tale, the action, as with McBain's, shifts to the squad room. Maya's drawing a plan of the table seating and he's literally cutting it out into sections so he can rearrange the positions while he's trying to work it out in his head. There's some talk and reference between Maya and Corella to Corella's marriage and to Teddy. Valerie decides to declare they've been married 12 years in her own particular take on the flexible time scale of the 87th Precinct universe. Maya is determined that the husband did it. 
He is more jealous of his wife's dalliance with a young actress than an older newspaper editor, so he's decided to kill Cindy, but then the seating switch happens. That's Maya's theory. At which point the phone rings, and it is Cindy Carr herself on the phone who asks them to come and meet her at the restaurant. So they go over there, but at that location there's no sign of Cindy, and a waitress tells them she's been and gone, and she was there with Helen's husband, the widower. They track her to her apartment, where she sat with MacReady, and they're drinking wine. Cindy had called him, MacReady, thinking that she had figured out that it was Ames trying to kill her. But it turns out in the end that it was simply the husband killing his wife, deliberate. The seating switch was just a red herring for us readers. MacReady killed her to stop her spending her money on Cindy. He wanted it. It was the money side of the love or money, really. And as they arrest him, MacReady admits he's poisoned his own wine, the wine he's drinking. The story finishes with Maya phoning an ambulance. So that's that. A nice attempt at finishing the tale, although I'm not fully on board with why Cindy would call the police, but then also talk to the husband and go to the restaurant with him and then take him back to her apartment. The story doesn't have space to explain why that's happened. It's, yeah, it's a bit odd. But there is a few nice touches in there that speak to the writer's knowledge of the series as well, and maybe that's what drew McBain to it a little bit. Of those six shortlisted entries we can read that are still available out there, we do have the following solutions. So Valerie Atkinson, as just discussed, gives us MacReady killing his wife. Barbara Baker has Helen MacReady trying to kill Cindy after she rebuffs her advances, but an overhelpful waiter switches their glasses because he thought he'd seen her put medicine in her own wine, but had forgotten to take it with her when she moved seats. And Helen Gibson has the husband meaning to kill Cindy. Then there's the other three that didn't make it to the final bit to be presented to McBain himself. And in that we have another instance of Ames killing Helen, albeit deliberately, rather than trying to kill Cindy and it being, you know, no, 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 no. And in the other two, we basically have a scenario where the ancient fixtures and fittings and decorations in Martha's restaurant are basically causing arsenic and fungus to grow up and it's being blown through the vents and this stuff has landed in the wine and it's an accidental death in two of those stories as well. I can see why the temptation of the air vent was there. It's an interesting process, the whole end-of-story competition system, and it really would be fascinating to see the actual TV episodes, the interviews and the sequences with the author. But as with so much stuff, it's sort of all fallen through the cracks in TV history. But this isn't the end of the story for Ed McBain's contribution to the end-of-story project, because Love or Money does get an official publication. After Evan Hunter died in July of 2005, there were, unsurprisingly, many tributes paid to him, and perhaps nowhere more so than in Japan, where the McBain legacy loomed large, particularly the 87th Precinct, but McBain as a crime writer in general, huge in Japan. And the publishers Hayakawa, who we often mention when we look at the book covers, they featured a tribute to McBain in the October 2005 issue of the Hayakawa Mystery Magazine. And amongst the various articles and stories they featured was the first and so far only official publication of Love or Money. It was translated by Megumi Nikki, 
and the description for the tale simply reads, Corella and Maya Maya follow the truth of the poisoning case. Simple as, really. And here we are. At the very least, the BBC competition has given us a little slice of McBain and the 87th Precinct that we otherwise wouldn't have had. So if you search for BBC End of Story on the internet, you can grab the PDF from the archived web pages and slip it into your collection, presuming you can't read Japanese and you don't own the magazine edition. However you find it, I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back soon with our look at the next proper full-length book, book number 54, Hark. And until then, fare thee well. <laughs>